I'm excited because today I want to talk about a sonnet. And it's a sonnet by the American poet A.E. Stallings. And we haven't talked about Stallings before on this podcast, but she is becoming a hero of mine when it comes to contemporary formalist verse. Stallings started publishing poetry back in 99. She's had four collections of original verse, but she's also become an important translator of classical verse. She's translated the De Rerum Natura of Lucretius and more recently the Works and Days Hesiod for Penguin Classics. But I want to look at one of her original poems today. Stallings is interesting because she's she's American. Uh, she's ended up studying at Oxford. And she now lives in Athens, Greece, and has lived there for, I think, at least much of the last decade. And she writes in English, but she also translates from the Greek and Latin. And her poetry has a wonderful classical feel to it, but is very contemporary in its concerns. Her most recent book, Like, which just came out last year, was nominated for the Pulitzer Prize in Poetry, and the winners were just announced. And she didn't win, but she was in the top three finalists. And so I've been having a great time going through her book, and I found this wonderful sonnet, a couple poems into her book, that I want to read and, and meditate on a little bit. This is called Alice Bewildered. Deep in the wood, where things escape their names, her childish arm draped round the fawn's soft neck, her diffidence, its skittishness in check, merged in the anonymity that tames. She knits her brow, but nothing now reclaims the syllables that meant herself. Ah, well, she need not answer to the grown-up beck and call the rote-learned lessons, scolds and blames of girlhood, sentences to parse and gloss. She's untwinned from the likeness in the glass. Yet in the dark ellipsis, she can tell she's certain that her name begins with L. Liza? Lacey? Alias, alas. Alas, alike, alone, and at a loss. As you can tell, the end of this poem gets very soundy, and it's something I love about Stallings. Stallings, from her first collection in 99, has been unapologetically interested in formal structures in her verse. This, of course, is a sonnet. It is 14 lines. It has an odd rhyme scheme, though. It's close to the Petrarchan rhyme scheme, and if you think back to high school poetry class, you may remember that there are two different major rhyme scheme traditions in the sonnet. There's the older Italian rhyme scheme, A-B-B-A, A-B-B-A, C-D-E, C-D-E. And then there's the a little newer Shakespearean or English rhyme scheme, A-B-A-B, C-D-C-D-E-F-E-F-G-G. But if you remember the Petrarchan or Italian rhyme scheme, you're allowed to kind of play with the last six rhymes. So it's usually A-B-B-A, A-B-B-A and often C-D-E, C-D-E, but it could be, say, C-C-D-E-D-E, or C-D-C-D-E-E. You can kind of play with them. What Stallings is doing here is something very odd, because usually it's always A-B-B-A, A-B-B-A, even if you're playing with that C-D and E rhyme. But Stallings lets 
the sea rhyme sneak up into the first eight lines. So this rhymes names, knack, check, tames, claims, well, back, blames, gloss, glass, tell, l, alas, a loss. So I know that that was quick. I'll spell it out for you. It's A-B-B-A, A-C-B-A, D-E-C-C-E-D. And if you didn't follow that entirely, it's partly because I think I think Stallings wants us to be thrown off. That C is hanging up there in the sixth line where we would expect a B. And we don't actually have another C rhyme for another five lines. And that's just a very odd thing to do. But I trust Stallings. She knows what she's up to. So formally, this is both a sonnet and an odd variation in the Italian sonnet. So already we know we're working with a poet who knows her stuff, but it can also play with the conventions. Let's look at what's going on in the in the grammatical meaning for a minute. So this is called Alice Bewildered. Now, Stallings, we know as someone who's very interested in literary heritage, especially classical literary heritage. But Alice is not from classical literature. The character of Alice, as we know, is from Lewis Carroll's books, Alice in Wonderland, Through the Looking Glass, etc. So this seems to be a poem that's going to play with this idea of the girl lost in the woods or the girl who ends up in a new world. And what we would expect from Carol is word games, maybe even math games, uh, strange flippings and reversals of the laws of nature, the laws of language, which seems a very ripe subject for a poet like Stallings who already loves playing with language. So we have Alice Bewildered as the title. Okay, so this is going to be Alice, who is often bewildered. If you've read Lewis Carroll, one of the things that Alice says often is curiouser and curiouser. So let's look at these first few lines. Deep in the wood where things escape their names, her childish arm draped round the fawn's soft neck. Okay, so we have a setting, deep in the woods, and it's a particular type of woods, as we'd expect in Lewis Carroll. Woods aren't just woods, they're woods that somehow change or flip things. What kind of woods are these? These are woods where things escape their names. I love the word escape there. I think we might expect if there is woods where names are lost, we would think of it as a loss where people forget their names. But that's not the verb that Stallings uses here. She has escape, and she's going to play with this idea that maybe a name is something that might be enjoyable to escape. Deep in the wood where things escape their names, her childish arm draped round the fawn's soft neck. Okay, so Alice is in a wood, a wood where you escape your name, and she's embracing a fawn, a young deer. There's some wonderful playing with uh, sounds here, the fawn's soft neck. Very nice. You can almost feel the, the velvety um, thickness of the fawn's neck in the sound of those words. And then we have the next two lines are actually in parentheses. Her diffidence, its skittishness in check, merged in the anonymity that tames. So the diffidence of the child and the skittishness of the fawn are somehow done away with or calmed. Uh, they are in check. 
her rhyme, rhymes with neck, of course. They're in check, and they're merged in the anonymity that tames. Now, anonymity is a long Latinate word that we might not really think goes in a poem that has phrases like fawn's soft neck. Those are single-syllable kind of thick words. Anonymity is, is a crisp Latinate word, but the juxtaposition is very nice. Someone who does this, of course, very well in American poetic history is Emily Dickinson. She has these fantastic long Latinate, uh, almost like scientific terms that she uses. Tis compound vision, light enabling light, the finite furnished with the infinite is one of my favorite lines or sets of lines from Dickinson. We have words like light. We have words like enabling infinite. These are words that are, uh, well, they seem technical, but they often work, can be worked into a formal poem in such a way that the technicality and specificity of them work toward the intellectual movement of the poem. And I think that's what Stallings is doing here. We already know that this is a wood where things escape their names. And the anonymity that this escaping of the name has allowed means that the girl and the fawn, and perhaps in a larger sense, the human and the animal, can somehow uh, get over uh, their hesitancy or maybe even fright of one another uh, and embrace. She knits her brow, but nothing now reclaims the syllables that meant herself. So I think Alice here we see is realizing she has escaped her name and can't remember it. And it's interesting, the word name isn't used again. It's the syllables that meant herself. It's a nice, it's a nice rephrasing of the name. And I, I, think of, I think of what I used to do as a child. I assume many other children did it. You, you repeat a word, maybe even your own name, until it sounds odd in your own ears. It's no longer your name. It's syllables that somehow refer to you. And the more you say it, the more it seems like it's just a weird series of noises that is coming out of you and somehow that means you and then Stallings gets to play with this idea more if you escape your name it's not that you are sad about it necessarily if you're Alice as we know a precocious child who likes perhaps getting into mischief perhaps likes getting lost in the woods Alice reflects that this is actually not so bad a thing to escape ah well she need not answer to the grown-up beck and call the rote learned lessons, scolds and blames of girlhood, sentences to parse and gloss. She's untwinned from the likeness in the glass. And that's another very Lewis Carroll image. There's something about her likeness that she gets to get away from. The idea that you could look in a mirror and somehow detach yourself from that reflection. It's almost, it's almost, it's something that might happen in a horror movie in a terrifying way but here it's fun you get to escape your reflection of course the image in the glass is a metaphor for our name and it's great because alice like so many kids my guess is thinks of her name as primarily a thing that that grown-ups use to somehow bind her into their expectations for her the beck and call the rote learned lessons scold and blames i think we, we, there's that there's that joke that your parents only use your full name when you're in trouble. That's being played with here. The name, that's what grown-ups use. If, you, if you're a child and want to be truly free, you need to escape the name. And how fun it is to escape the name. But then, of course, Stallings 
Stallings is exactly 50 years old. And so it's, it's fun to think of Stallings as uh, someone in middle age who's reflecting on girlhood, uh, but also has the wisdom of middle age. She takes it in, in a slightly more expected turn, but it's after this idea of freedom. Then we have this, oh, but maybe escaping your name isn't the best thing. So we end with, yet in the dark ellipsis, she can tell she's certain that her name begins with L. Now, it's, it's fun because her name doesn't begin with L. It begins with A. But Alice, the first major sound you hear is the L. It's like the experience of having a word on the tip of your tongue, but you're not sure what it is. And often you think that one of the words in the middle or the letters in the middle or at the end are at the beginning. I love this because this sonnet is kind of calling us to these things that I think we as kids often think about or even as humans often think about or wonder or like to play with in our minds. And she's giving words to common experiences. Alexander Pope said that good poetry expresses what oft was thought but ne'er so well expressed. Here we have lots of childish things that are often thought, but arguably, and I know this is high praise for Stallings, but I don't, don't mind highly praising, praising Stallings. I think she deserves it. Perhaps this has been ne'er so well expressed, at least ne'er so well recently. Her name being lost is described here as a dark ellipsis. So we start to get this sense, okay, maybe it's not all fun and games. Maybe it's not just escape from adult responsibilities or responsibilities that adults put upon her. She's certain that her names begins with L. Liza, Lacey, alias, alas. A lass alike alone and at a loss. So after this Liza Lacey, it's fun, right? She's trying out, is, my, is that my name? She's not sure. Liza and Lacey, of course, are almost Alice. But then Stallings just jumps into the beauty of rhyme and alliteration and gives us, well, it's a full line of iambic pentameter, this last one, alas, alike, alone, and at a loss. But it's actually a couple feet of the line before it as well. Alias, alas, alas, alike, alone, and at a loss. It's like she throws out every other word that kind of sounds like Alice, but does it in such a way that it makes sense as a sentence. Alias, alas, alas, alike, alone, and at a loss. So these are aliases, alas. And then we have a description of Alice as Alas, a space lass, young lady, a lass, alike alone. So she is in the same way alone and at a loss. So not only is alias alas, a lass, not only do, do those three phrases sound like Alice, a loss is also a way of saying Alice, or a way of giving an alias to Alice. It's like I'm giving my tongue a workout here. But I think Stallings is telling us something in giving us the last rhyme word of the poem, the last word that is like Alice, not being alias or not being a lass, being a loss. I think she ends up wanting to bring us back to, no, to escape your name is to lose something. It's not all fun and games. She is at a loss.
in the way that in Lewis Carroll, something like loss can be turned into a place, or a place can become the embodiment of loss. And I think this poem itself becomes a site of playing with the ideas of losing through this character of Alice. I am bewitched by poems like this that play with ideas that are common to many people, play with images of characters that we've seen in other stories, but we have the poet's own take, but that do it in language that just delights in the texture of language and does so in a form, the Petrarchan sonnet, that's hundreds and hundreds of years old. I read through the poetry collection that won the Pulitzer Prize, and we might look at some poems uh, in future podcasts from that. But what I noticed was the Pulitzer Prize winner, as well as Pulitzer Prize winners from the past few years, have not been by poets who have taken this delight in the traditional form that poetry has taken, and are like Stallings does, using this form to show that meditations of the con on the contemporary as connected with the past can be done in the in these traditional forms uh, most poetry that is awarded is not doing this and it, it it makes me a little bit frustrated to be honest that people like stallings are writing such fantastic poetry but are losing out to writers who are not being as formally virtuosic as formally disciplined. And I'm not saying that free verse can't be formally disciplined. I'm just saying that it hides formal discipline, free verse does, in a way that a sonnet or a ballad or a villanelle, of which there are several in Stallings' book, they don't hide it, they show it. They're not afraid to show the superstructure and to delight and ask you to delight in the superstructure of the language. And if you've listened to this podcast for any length of time, you know that one of the things I keep trying to say is that we must still care and we can still care about those formal elements that don't detract from, but rather always enhance when properly done, the meaning, the emotion, the passion of the poem. This has been the Poetry Corner Podcast. I'm Dr. Timothy Bartell.